Good morning, everybody. My, uh, my family, which our members here and are involved, uh, none of them are here this weekend, the weekend that I'm preaching. So maybe they know something you don't know. I don't know. We'll find out. But uh, they are, Eli is in Sweden uh, with a soccer team for a big trip that our soccer club takes. So poor him. And then um, Carrie and Drew and Amelia are in Chicago painting Amelia's new apartment before she moves in in August for her junior year of college there. So, and that my, our oldest lives in Chicago full time. So that's the rundown of my family. Um, let's, begin, let's dive into these texts. As you heard the parable this morning of the sower, what stood out to you about that parable? Well, maybe you've never heard it before, uh, which makes it easy to kind of be surprised by what was said. Maybe you've heard it time and time again, and so you forgot to listen as soon as you heard what was being read. Uh, and so you need a, a prompt to think about again. What was just read? What did I just hear? What jumps out at me about that parable? A, a sower went out to sow his seed, and what happened? And as you think about that, let me tell you why I'm asking you that question. Parables are, are told to make a point uh, with the hearers by shock value. Um, this is one of the keys of, of reading parables, as Jesus tells them, is to figure out what's the thing that jumped out at the original hearers? What's the thing that when they listen to this story using everyday kind of common things like a sowing out to sow a seed, what's the thing that they would have, you know, heard the record scratch on, that kind of thing? Like, our root, what happened there? What is it? Because that's, that's the point of the parable. What shocks the original audience is the thing we need to uh, hone in on to understand what Jesus is getting at. The classic example of this would be the parable we call the Good Samaritan, right? If we think about that, what's the shock value? Not that somebody was robbed on that road, and not really that somebody stopped to help. The shock value is who stopped to help, and that Jesus would put this person up as a hero, right? So that's where, that's where we have to listen is to the shock value. So now, back to Matthew 13 and the parable of the sower as it's called. What would be shocking to the original hearers about this parable? It's not really the birds. It's not the failure of seed to develop in shallow soil. It's not the reality that weeds and thorns get in the way. It's the yield of this crop that did grow. Did you hear what Jesus said? Some of it a hundredfold. Now, a normal yield expected would be tenfold, is what I understand from reading people who know these things. Fifteenfold would be like, wow, bumper crop. So the original hearers are listening to this parable, yeah, yeah this path and the birds and blah, blah, blah. A hundredfold, that's when the record scratches for them. What kind of seed is he talking about that would produce a hundredfold? We've got to figure out this seed, and we have got to get it planted What's the answer? The answer is the word of the kingdom. The word of the kingdom bears 160, 30 fold. The truth about Jesus and the way of life that he came to restore, when that is heard and understood, the parable says, we'll come back to that a little bit later, when that word of the kingdom has its way, the yield is shockingly fruitful, Jesus says. I don't know about you, but I have a hard time believing that, if I'm honest. I have a hard time believing that. I don't tend to think of the gospel going forth producing a great yield. I don't tend to think about following Jesus as always abundant and bountiful. I, I tend to think in terms of limited resources and 
limited results, I tend to protect myself and protect my heart with low expectations. I don't know if you can relate to that. And I've heard this called recently in a couple different places, the scarcity gospel. Anybody heard that term? The scarcity gospel. A lot of us have heard of the prosperity gospel, this dangerous teaching sometimes called name it and claim it, where we're taught that if you just have the right amount of faith and you just believe firmly, then God is going to bless you materially in this life. Name it and claim it. Say what you want and he'll give it to you. And of course, then if it doesn't come, it's your fault because you didn't have enough faith or you didn't get enough money to the preacher who's proclaiming the prosperity gospel. But this gospel is still at work around the world in America and around the majority world. It's one of the biggest threats to the church around the world. But I think equally threatening to us here in America is the scarcity gospel. This idea that the kingdom resources are limited, that God isn't really doing much, either by choice or by inability. And this is extremely detrimental to faithfulness and faithful and fruitful living. And think about this, back to the garden, back to the original fall of humanity away from the Lord. What was it that the serpent used to distract them, to cause them to lead astray? It wasn't atheism. It wasn't a denial of God. It was a downgrading of God. It was making God distrustful, making them suspicious of God. Did God really say that you can't eat from any fruit in the garden? Well, no, he didn't say that, but he said we can't eat from this one or we'll die. (laughs) You won't die. God's a liar. In fact, God knows if you eat it, you'll become like him, knowing good and evil, and he doesn't want you to be like him. He's withholding things from you. So to have a diminished view of God is actually Satan's great tactic to make us live fruitless lives in the world. So similarly, a scarcity mindset, a belief in a scarcity gospel, diminishes our view of God and what he is able, willing, and intending to do in the kingdom over which he reigns. But... Our readings today, all three of them, insist on abundance, fruitfulness in God's kingdom and on generosity and progress from God's hands. They insist on it. They bombard us with it. Look at them again. As we go through today, I encourage you to have this out so you can flip back and forth. Rick said, what are you going to preach on today? I said, all of them. And he kind of, good luck, you know, kind of thing. But Anyway, but look at them again. We're just going to hit back and forth on all of these Romans. The contrast is between death and life. It doesn't get any more like scarcity and abundance than that. In your flesh, by yourself, it's death. But God's spirit in you is life. And it's not just, a, a, it's not just life. It's life as a son of God with the inheritance of Christ himself shared with you. Talk about abundance. Talk about generosity. Talk about progress. And Isaiah's text in Isaiah 55 is just this litany of abundance and fruitfulness. He says, come, eat, and be satisfied. Delight in rich food. And it doesn't cost you anything. It's free to you. He uses this language of rain and snow as producing fruitfulness. And he says that's what God's word is like when it goes out and bears fruit. It's abundant like that, like the rain and the snow. He talks about this life of joy and of peace. He talks about singing and clapping. He talks about thorns and briars becoming strong and useful trees. This is a passage full of abundance and generosity and fruitfulness. And then back to Matthew, a harvest of 30, 60, 100-fold. This is what God wants and intends for us in his kingdom. His powerful spirit, the same spirit, Paul reminds us, that raised Jesus from the dead, intends and is able to do amazing, satisfying, joyful, peaceful, and so on and so on and so on things here and now in our lives. 
as the word of the kingdom is heard and understood. And people, just to be clear, these are not my words. These are his. He wants us to know and believe this in our lives. So as we think about the abundance in the kingdom, I want to talk briefly about three things. And they all start with C because that's how I roll. And you know that. So I know you'd be disappointed if that wasn't the case. So I want to talk about a caveat, the cause, and then connection. So three C's, a caveat, the cause, a, and, and then connection for those of you taking notes at home. So first of all, a caveat. Uh, in other words, a little bit of pumping the brakes on our expectations. Now, some of you may be thinking, oh, okay, here we go. Here are the excuses for why I'm not experiencing this abundance from God. Here is another preacher who's going to, you know, say this and then take it away. And, and maybe, maybe that's what I'm doing. Maybe I'm anticipating your disappointment. Maybe I'm projecting my own disappointment. But I hope what I'm doing in this caveat is actually reading the text rightly. Okay, so, so listen as I say this and, and don't dismiss it, the whole premise yet. Okay, so the caveat is this. It, the fruitfulness and abundance in the kingdom, is not going to be in ways we expect or necessarily want. So the abundance, the fruitfulness of the kingdom is not going to be in ways we expect or necessarily want. Okay, so let me explain. How do I know this? Why would I say this? Well, it's because of what the texts say. Isaiah 55, 2 says, Why spend money for not bread and for things that don't satisfy, which means that we chase good things through ways that don't get those good things, right? That's why Isaiah has to say that. Why spend money for not bread? You need bread. It's a good thing. But you're trying to get bread other ways. Why spend money for things that don't satisfy? To be satisfied is good, but you're looking in the wrong places for that satisfaction. So God's abundant provision comes through other ways and through things that actually do satisfy against our expectations and felt wants oftentimes. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 says, His ways and thoughts are not ours. They are way higher. They're better. He gets it where we don't. Which means that there is mystery to this walking with God thing. We just aren't going to understand it all on our own. So on our own, our wants and our expectations won't be as high as his. So part of this caveat is it's going to be better than we think if we'll trust him. Because it's higher than we can anticipate and we can think about. So his ways to bring fruitfulness and bless abundantly will likely not be in ways that we expect or necessarily want because they're higher than our thoughts and our ways. And Romans reinforces it. It says the mindset on the flesh is hostile to God. It doesn't follow him or can't please him. And it says in 8.13, if you live according to the flesh, you will die, which again means it's not going to be ways and things we want left to our own devices because we'll not want and pursue the right things. And then in Matthew, we see the same thing again, this caveat to help us set right expectations. Matthew, it says in verse 21, fruitfulness involves being able and willing to persevere through persecution and tribulation, right? That, that fruit that doesn't come because when persecution and tribulation comes, they fall away. So that means that fruitfulness involves being able and willing to persevere through persecution and tribulation. I don't want that. And frankly, I struggle to understand why this is and why we have to expect that in the world. But again, my ways are not his ways. And there is, or at least can be, comfort in knowing the intention of 30, 60, 100-fold fruitfulness through that persecution 
and suffering. And Matthew 13, 22 says, the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches can and do pull us away and distract us because they often fit better with our expectations and wants, right? The cares of the world, the, the uh, deceitfulness of riches, that's, that's what we think we need to be preoccupied with. That's what we think we need fruitfulness in. So they do distract us. They do pull us away. I'll be honest with you. I very much believe that wealth would make my life easier and better. I very much believe that. When I was looking for the job I have now, I was surprised how many times I thought, if I could just get a job that would really, really pay me a lot of money, that would be great. And I, you know, I just need to admit that to you. Um, I really, really think that that would make my life better. I often think that God can and should make me satisfied and fruitful uh, in that way. And for some, he does. And some can handle it, and they can use it kingdom-mindedly, and that is great. It's not riches that is the problem, but it's their deceitfulness. They can take the wrong place in our lives. So again, this means that satisfying the cares of the world and giving us riches is not how abundant life and fruitfulness is at least primarily going to come to us, even though that might be what I want or what I expect. So that's the caveat to this whole thing, to temper our ex expectations. We are likely going to need a renewed understanding of what true fruitfulness is and where we need abundance. So let's talk about the cause. And I don't mean the cause meaning this is what caused it, but the cause meaning like the purpose, like what is the thing that we're working for? Okay, if fruitfulness and abundance is what the kingdom is about, what direction is that fruitfulness and abundance going to go? Where should we look for it? What is God up to? And part of this is understanding if it does have to go through persecution and suffering and those kind of things, at least if we understand what it's about and what it's for, that can help us to persevere. It's like Mr. Miyagi and the Karate Kid, right? Like, wax on, wax off. Why? Because this dude knows karate, okay? And just you got to just trust him. And eventually, you'll be able to do karate. So what is it? What is the cause? What is it that God is working towards? What is he about? What does he want to, be, to do for us? And there are lots of things throughout the scripture. This is a great exercise. As you read, just look for these. What is the abundant life that God has for me? What, is he, what does he want to give me fruitfulness in? And there are a few pictures of it here that I just want to highlight very quickly. One is a place to belong. A place to belong. Um, he wants to give us a, a secure and solid identity as his child, one who's accepted and loved in his household. Right? So in, in Isaiah 55, it talks about the pardon that he wants to seek the Lord. He, he, he may be found, call upon, for, forsake your ways, and you will know great forgiveness from the Lord. You'll know, I don't hold that against you. You're a welcome here. And, and Paul says in Romans that the spirit gives us a spirit of adoption so that we can say, Daddy. To God, that we, we know we're in, we have that intimacy and affection. This is where we belong. And we have a community, a people that we belong here with, and none of us belong here by our merits. We all get in by grace, and so we can be generous and kind to each other because of that. This is a safe place, a safe identity. Paul says, I want you to know the love that is yours, the love that exceeds knowing, is what he says. It's crazy, but that's, that's the abundant place of belonging that God wants you to have, of knowing how much you're loved and how much you're welcomed here. That's part of the abundance, that you, that you would be secure in that, a place to belong. He also wants to give us a path to life, abundant wisdom about how to be human and how to flourish, about having our wants and desires rightly ordered and therefore met. So Isaiah talks about turning from our ways that don't satisfy or lead to flourishing to turning to his ways that do, that are higher and better than ours. 
Paul says, walk by the Spirit and you'll walk into life, life that is abundant, life that is eternal, life that is everlasting. So we so often are wondering, what do I do? How do I do this? How do I deal with that coworker, etc.? God wants to help us. He wants to give us abundant wisdom to apply in the world. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in the last point. And thirdly, he wants to give us a purpose to pursue, something to, to give our lives and our energies toward brokenness being addressed. Some now, eventually he's going to get rid of it all in the future, all that brokenness. But even now, he's giving us something bigger than ourselves to live for and contribute to and in which to find the significance that we're created for. We're image bearers. We're to image him in the world. We're to have significance, but we often pursue it in the wrong ways. He wants to give us that place, that purpose to pursue. So Isaiah 55.5 talks about this picture of another nation being drawn in. And the picture here is others coming to know the Lord through the lives and witness of the people of God. That's part of this purpose to pursue is that as we live our lives faithfully and with our witness, God is bringing others to himself. He is redeeming others. And I know, I don't know about you, but I doubt that that he still wants to do this and he still is going to do this abundantly. But just yesterday morning at breakfast or at at a coffee house, as I met an old friend, the guy that was part of my campus ministry at Nebraska 20 some years ago, out of the blue, reached out this week, said, can we have coffee? I'm in town. So we had coffee yesterday. He told me a story about a guy he was in grad school with who was a, you know, a atheist, totally didn't want anything to do with God, was, was preaching against God, was, you know, working on all these causes that were immoral and all this kind of stuff. That guy's now a Christian, and the guy I was meeting with was having lunch with him or later in the day meeting with him to talk about his, his life in Christ. Just yesterday I got that story as I'm working on this sermon to remind me so I could remind you He's still doing this. He's still drawing people to himself by his power. As the gospel goes forth, he wants abundant fruit. He intends to bring people to himself. And then Isaiah 55 at the end, 12 and 13, this picture of thorns and briars becoming cypress trees. And what's the other? Myrtle trees, right? This picture of thorns and thistles, right? That's the fall. And those things are redeemed back into fruitful, useful trees. So now as he's drawing people to himself, he's, he's redeeming the creation, restoring what's broken in all of the world. And he's calling us to be part of that. Again, not everything is going to be fixed here and now. There's, there's already and the, the not yet. There's the someday, one day, but not today of many things. But there are things that God wants to and is redeeming even now. There are problems, brokennesses that he is intending to fix. That's the fruitfulness of the kingdom. That's the cause that he is working towards, that he invites us to. And one last little tidbit about that from this Romans 8 passage is that he intends to give us power in the pursuit of that, right? By his spirit in us. Okay, this is what his intentions are for life in his kingdom. As we grasp those, we can want fruitfulness in those things. We can grab hold of what he intends and we can begin to pursue those things ourselves. But that comes to the question of how. How does this fruitfulness come? And that's my third C, connection. And this is where we return to what I said we return to from Matthew 13, the fruitfulness. The shocking yield comes, Jesus says, when one hears the word of the kingdom and understands it. Right? There's three seeds that this doesn't. There's the one who hears but does not understand, which is like on the path and it's snatched away. There's the one who hears with joy but nothing else. There's no depth, so no endurance. There's the one who hears the word but other things choke, distract from it, take its place. So there's no fruit. And there's, there's the one who hears and understands. What does that mean? Well, it's not talking about just a cognitive, oh, I get it. That's too often what we settle with. Oh, yeah, I understood the sermon today. End of story, go on with my life. It's the, it's what, what this word in the Greek means is to bring together. 
to, to join, to connect. So it's almost like our phrase, to connect the dots. The one who hears and connects the dots, that's where the fruitfulness comes from. So to, to hear and understand is to do the work to connect the dots of the word of the kingdom to the life that I'm living with the help of the Holy Spirit. So the first step in this is to not believe that scarcity gospel, right? Don't believe lies about God's power and intention in the world. Whatever situation you are in, connect the dots between that situation and the word of the kingdom. He is with you. He loves you. He wants and is able to accomplish kingdom work and bear kingdom fruit for your good and the good of those around you in that place. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? He is able to do far more abundantly than all you ask or think according to his power at work within you. Like reject the scarcity gospel, take that gospel into the places that you are. And that's the second step is then to actually apply, sorry, actually apply uh, those things in the places that you are. Reject the scarcity gospel. Believe the gospel of abundance and generosity in the places that you are. What might God do? Isn't that a wonderful question to be able to ask in the places we find ourselves? What might God do here? Because I know it, he's not a God of scarcity and a God of fruitlessness. He's a God of abundance and fruitfulness. What might he do here? This is the ongoing work of living as a Christian. This is what we ought to be talking about in our, in our table groups as we talk about what's, where we are in life. What might God be doing? What might God do here? When, when work is a place of criticism and competition and backbiting, this is the hard work of not letting your identity be determined by that, but by that place to belong that God intends to give you, that sense of love and acceptance that you can be an agent of change in that place because you're so loved by Jesus, right? Take that reality into that place of challenge and struggle. How do we know God's will in our life? How do I figure out what to do with my life? There's tons of wisdom available for it, and it's not always the like, do this, don't do this, but it's principles that apply to the things you're thinking about doing, right? I remember somebody talked to me over several um, months about how do you know God's will for your life? How do you know God's will for my life? Does God want me to do this? And I finally said to this person, do you, do you really want me to answer that question? Because it felt like it was sort of rhetorical. And he said, yeah, I want to know what you think about this. And I said, well, I don't know about that specific thing. Like, there's no chapter or verse about should you pursue that. But what I do know is that it's fiscally irresponsible for you. It's hurting your finances. And it's killing your marriage. And I know from the Bible, but those are two principles that you need to abide by for a flourishing life. So that tells me you should not do X, right? We have principles. We have these things that we can rely on that will help us to bear fruitfulness in those tough things. What should I do here? What is, how do I navigate this place? Well, that's where you connect the dots of instruction in the kingdom, that wisdom he gives us, a path to life he wants to give us to be fruitful there. And then also that purpose to pursue in those frustrating places where you find yourself, could there be someone who needs to come to know the Lord, who might the Lord might be drawing to himself? Could there be an injustice that gets addressed and remedied as you're faithful in that place? Could there be an image bearer who's being treated poorly that, that you can help to be defended in their vulnerability, right? And, and, and pursue that, believing that God in his fruitfulness wants to bear fruit in those kinds of places knowing that the power of the Holy Spirit is at work. What might God do in our lives as we hear and understand and connect the dots and bring the abundant kingdom realities to bear in our daily lives? Quick story to end. 
uh, in the summer of 2007, I met at a caribou coffee shop uh, uh, out on the east side of St. Paul with a friend of mine who was also in town vacationing with his family. And we were talking about what's next in our lives, and we talked about possibly moving to the Twin Cities to plant a church and start a campus ministry at the University of Nebraska. And we sort of thought, yeah, maybe this would be a good place. We have a family here, and, and the, the denomination we were working with at the time didn't have a presence on the campus and these kind of things. And so we thought, maybe we should do this, but we said, it is going to be super expensive to move both of our families here to do this work. It's going to cost a lot of money that we don't have. So we said, well, let's pray about it. It was early July of 20. 2007. Three weeks later, we were at a meeting for our, the National Campus Ministry Organization that we worked for, and our coordinator got up to give a State of the Union address, and at the end of it, he said, well, here's, here's some new news I have. Two weeks ago, our meeting was three weeks before that, two weeks ago, we had a donor reach out to us who said that he would like to give a significant amount of money to help plant churches and start new campus ministries in places where our denomination typically is not strong, and he said, literally places like the Twin Cities in the University of Minnesota. So we moved here and planted a church in 2008. I didn't think that it was gonna happen. I didn't, I wish I could say I prayed so hard and I believed, I didn't. I was like, well, let's pray about it. And God did abundantly more than I could ask or imagine in providing for that work. How great to be surprised by God's abundance. How fun to live thinking what might God do? Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for revealing to us in your word that you are not a, a, scarce, a God of scarcity, a God of stinginess, um, a God of lack, on the contrary. Thank you for these pictures of that in these, these beautiful texts. Help us to believe and to live accordingly. For your glory and our good. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.